Enjoy Friday night dinners at the American German Club. Doors open at 5 p.m. Dinner, dessert, and coffee services are served from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. only. There's a live band, full bar with liquor and wine, including German and domestic beers on tap. $10 for admission and dinner is just $12. Visit AmericanGermanClub.org for more info. I'm going to be speaking with Faith McDonald, a human rights activist who has had a pretty awful experience, one that uh, is not foreign to most conservatives and certainly not to uh, people who call themselves Christians in this day and age. Um, she got stripped from her Facebook page. How are you, Faith? Oh, I'm very well, Joyce. Thanks for having me on. Well, I was fascinated because you're one of the few that actually got back on. So I want to know <laughs> what the what the secrets are. Oh, okay. Well, uh, yes, I had been uh, banished from Facebook for all time, supposedly. Uh, I received a, a message saying that my account was permanently disabled, uh, that they were closing my account, and that that would be the last email that I would receive about it. That was after I had tried to appeal to them through a form uh, at their website. So, And this all happened because I had posted a photo of the 21 men who were martyred on the beach in Libya by ISIS. It was the fourth anniversary, or fifth anniversary, sorry, of their, um, of their martyrdom, yeah. and I wanted to show uh, solidarity with them. So that was what got me in trouble. Um, the secret is, as in so many cases, knowing somebody who knows somebody. Mm. I really don't know that I would have had my Facebook back if it hadn't been that somebody saw the article that I wrote about this at the stream who knows me and said, oh, I have a friend in public relations at Facebook and uh, got me in touch with a real human being, mm. which helped a lot. Yeah, because I've had a similar experience. When I try to contact some of these social media platforms, they give me like a, a form to fill out. No one ever gets back to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, they got back to me with the royal kiss-off. That was what I thought, <laughs> and I, I thought that was going to be it because uh, the form said, your account is permanently disabled. You have violated our community standards. So, you know, I'm left thinking, Okay, it, it happened right after I posted that photo. So uh, how did I violate the community standards? Did somebody, like, see it and get offended by it and, and rat on me? So, you know, it has you paranoid about who your friends are on Facebook and things like that. But uh, it, it turned out that it was really an, an algorithm thing that had to do with security, um, you know, pretty pretty um, genuine security issues uh, because I had used the photo as my profile picture, not in an article talking about it. I had just posted it. I wanted to, to identify with them, so I made it my profile picture, and that's what got me in trouble. Wow, but that picture had been uh, all over the Internet and, and in yeah. publications. It's not like it was a secret uh, uh, photograph. <laughs> That's right, yeah. I, I think I said in my my second article in the stream, when I, I got back, I wrote an article and said, I'm back. Facebook restored my account, a thank you and three suggestions. And my first suggestion was, you know, Facebook, you really are better when you have a face when there's an actual human being, a warm-blooded person that you can talk to and explain and see if you can get things changed. And for me, uh, because I knew somebody who knew somebody, that happened. But they really need uh, a better appeal process where, where other people who don't know somebody can talk to somebody and uh, reason with them. 
There isn't even an appeal process on some of these platforms. My friend Laura Loomer mm. has been banned from PayPal, which is how she funded her her uh, her investigative journalism. And there was no oh appeal po- process. They just said, you're done. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. I heard about Laura, and, and that's appalling. Um, yeah, no, all of these things should have an appeal process because they have a process for people who want to get you off to go through, who, who say, you know, this person has offended me or this person is using hate speech. So why should they have more rights than we do? Yeah, well, I'm glad that, you know, you knew somebody who knew somebody because um, <laughs> really too. I have a, a number of friends and a number of of uh, people that I've worked with professionally over the years who are not able to get their message out anymore. And I'm beginning to feel as though, uh, you know, if it's, if it's a pro-Christian, a Judeo-Christian message, it's going to get censored. If it's a conservative message or a supporting of the president message, it's going to get censored. And ultimately, if you quiet all of the, the voices, um, you, you are going to be living in a country that I don't think anybody's going to recognize. That's right. Yeah, it'll be a country that's totally one-sided, um, and uh, it, it it really is very worrying. Um, but I think we have to continue to fight it. Um, and like some people said to me, "Oh, you sh- you should get off Facebook anyway." Well, no, I got back on when they let me on, and I'm going to continue, you know, doing what I'm doing. And it actually, uh, it was in 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 the long run, it was a good experience. Um, I call it a, a Romans eight. 28 moment all things work together for good for that's, my that's my scripture that's my scripture all right yeah. i wear it around yeah, my neck what, oh my goodness yeah. well that's what this was for me because my uh twitter became my new best friend yeah. um and i gained about 200 new followers on twitter because of this and got the message out to more people about the persecution of Christians around the world than I would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said in my, my suggestions in this last article on the stream, I said, um, you know, uh, you, you were outraged because I was banned from Twitter. But show the same outrage for people who are being slaughtered and imprisoned and tortured for their faith that you did for me just for being taken off Twitter. You know, we really, we need to show solidarity with our brothers and sisters. Um, and and the people who, who were awakened by, by my plight, I hope that this will never leave them and that they will remember and, and look for stories, uh, if you know, if they're not getting them from some uh, group, that they will, will look for stories to see what's happening to Christians in China. And right now, Nigeria, yes. with the elections that just took place, the Christians are being slaughtered again, you know, so um, people need to be aware of that if they care about their brothers and sisters around the world, or even if they're just, you know, decent human beings who care about people around the world. Yeah, exactly. I don't, you know, persecution because of your religion, because of your race, because of your ethnicity is unacceptable. And Mm -hmm. we have to stand up against that kind of bigotry. But I tell you, um, I am really concerned because you're not, you're not a, a, you know, a, a famous activist or anything. I mean, you've kept a, a, a profile that's modest to, to, 
for your cause. And if you can be targeted, um, you can imagine what's happening to these people who speak for so many. Um, they are getting shut down and it is frightening, you know, and, and even when they know somebody, um, there is a, a concerted effort to silence certain voices. I mean, you know, I said a long time ago when I, when people asked me what I thought would be the most important, um, new development in the pro-life movement, I said, well, mm -hmm. Facebook and all those uh, girls posting sonograms on their websites mm -hmm. um, will change people's minds and hearts. And in fact, that's exactly mm -hmm. what has happened. Uh, people no wow. longer dismiss it as a blastocyst, and you're finding that the new upcoming generations are much more pro-life than they'd lead you to believe. And yet, I'm watching legislation yeah. being passed all over this this country um, to, to terminate a, a born baby, never mind an unborn yeah. baby. So, you know, these are troubled it, 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 times. It's very troubled times. and uh, But as you say, the, the new generations, the young generations care about life. I, I got that message especially uh, from a group called Survivors LA that, that made me aware that one out of every three of their generation was gone from abortion. And I thought, you know, if that doesn't wake up these young people, that they've lost a third of their generation, yeah. then um, what will? Right. So, But it, it's these people in Congress and you know, uh, who on the Democratic side who are willing to to commit infanticide now? It's appalling. It is, and and they spend all their time. I mean, you know, we have the leaders of uh, of our country and and North Korea negotiating, hopefully, a peace. You know, a, a denuclearization of the peninsula, and all that mm -hmm. uh, I see on television is uh, Michael Cohen uh, in congressional <laughs> oversight hearing. Uh, you know, keep your eyes on the shiny thing. You know, that's what they have us doing. Oh, I know it's it's awful, and yeah, and you don't hear uh, about people being persecuted for their faith either. Even no. when they talk about things like Nigeria, they put it in morally equivalent terms. They say the herdsmen versus the farmers are having oh. a conflict. Well, the herdsmen are Islamic jihadists right. who, are, who are Fulani, and and they are killing Christians who are farmers. But it's not a con you can't have a conflict if one side doesn't have weapons and is being slaughtered in their sleep. You know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for fighting back and standing up and getting uh -huh. your story out there. I'm glad I could speak with you, Faith, and uh, just keep up the good work. Thank you, Joyce. You too, and I hope your your voice get never gets muffled. <laughs> ah, I appreciate that. Thanks so much. We'll be in okay. touch. God bless. God bless. Bye -bye. All right. So my voice muffled. Uh, you guys would stand up for me, wouldn't you? You, you know, I'll be brushing on uh, whatever social media platform uh, delegitimized me, wouldn't you? I'm telling you, it's time to have our own platform. We'll be right back. cause of migration is legal loopholes or bad judicial decisions rather than the dire conditions of violence and poverty in these people's homes country, home countries that's literally driving them from home. I think it's easier to slam the door against these kids and these families. Um, this hearing is a recognition and an insistence that on that humanity, um, a recognition that the Flores decision also addressed, and a recognition that just following orders is no more an excuse today than it was 
back in Germany. Oh, boy. I don't know where they come from, this Scanlon, but who votes for somebody that is, um, I don't know, that just uh, unknowing, un. I would say unintelligent, but I don't know that she's not intelligent. She just doesn't know very much. She is ignorant of history and the facts to compare a police force that protects a sovereign country with a Gestapo that was uh, ethnically cleansing a country. But hey, I don't want to confuse her with any of that stuff. Each day, nearly 25% of my agents are diverted away from our border security mission to care for, transport, and process family members and unaccompanied children. As more migrants arrive with medical needs, agents are transporting and escorting an average of 55 people a day to medical facilities. We are committed to addressing this humanitarian need, but we know that when agents are occupied, Narcotic smugglers, criminal aliens, gang members, and others use the opportunity to violate our borders and our laws. There is an ongoing debate about whether this constitutes a border security crisis or a humanitarian crisis. Let me be clear, it is both. Exactly. What difference, what kind of crisis it is? It is a crisis. And the fact that they, uh, you know, that they literally passed a resolution with 13 Republicans, these weak-willed, uh, uh, shifty Republicans make me sicker even sometimes than the Democrats. But the fact that they don't think there's a crisis on the border and Republicans went along with that is pretty, pretty scary to me. This is who's leading right now. This, these are the leaders of our country. Um, other, the other thing that I just wanted to, to cover, except that we're running out of time in this segment, so I'll probably hold on to it. Um, the attorney general in California, Becerra, uh, used to be a congressman. Uh, he just issued a report. <laughs> and, and I don't even know how to present this without laughing. I'm going to try not to laugh because it's. I suppose it's not funny to somebody. It's very funny to me. Um, he wrote a report saying that, that uh, immigrant detainees in California are being treated like prisoners. <laughs> I don't know. Does that... How should they be treated? Like heroes? I, I don't understand. They're imprisoned. And you... um you generally get treated like you're a prisoner if you're in jail. But, you know, Orange County is a strange place. That's what he's talking about. All right, stay right where you are. When we come back, we'll talk about a little more of this insanity that's going on in California. Enjoy Friday night dinners at the American German Club. Doors open at 5 p.m. every Friday night of the year. Dinner, dessert, and coffee services are optional. Serve from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. only. There's a live band from 7 to 11 playing ballroom, standards, party music, and German traditional. Full bar with liquor and wine, including German and domestic beers on tap. $10 for admission and dinner is just $12. Visit AmericanGermanClub.org for more information. The reality is 
is that Donald Trump for, has inherited a mess from his both Republican and Democratic predecessors who over over the last 25 years kicked the can down the road and we've now run out of road. North Korea on his watch is on the verge of developing and deploying a ballistic the reality is, is that Donald Trump for, has inherited a mess from his both Republican and Democratic predecessors who over over the last 25 years kicked the can down the road and we've now run out of road. North Korea on his watch is on the verge of developing and deploying a ballistic missile that can deliver a nuclear warhead to the United States. Uh, so this is the reality that he's inherited. Uh, and, you know, the, the one thing that he has done, uh, which we give him, so we should, one, we should all be rooting for him to, to succeed and Two, we should give him credit for the fact that he's trying something different. And the one thing he has done is he has basically said, unlike the, the, the North Korean playbook and all these negotiations, the way they played every previous president, is they blow up some stuff that we know that they don't really need anymore, and then we give them billions of dollars in aid. And, and they could play this, you know, it's package deal number one played over right. and over again. So Trump's not do, playing that game. No, he's not playing that game. But, of course, uh, the mainstream media can't help but attack him nonetheless. Um and boy, are they having a field day in there, the Democrats, uh, with uh, Michael Cohen, because, yeah, he, he, I have no idea, really, why Michael Cohen is even doing this. He's going to jail, and, you know, he, it, it can't be his conscience. He's a guy without a conscience, for the most part, or, or how do you do the things he says he did if you have a conscience? It's funny that you say that because as I was monitoring it, like his open testimony, he's like, he says all the bad stuff that Trump did and everything else and cutting his salary and this, that, and other. But he's like, I continue to work for him. <laughs> I continue to work for right. him. And like, what point do you continue to work for somebody? At which scummy part of that? He's like, you know what? Maybe I should walk away. Well, not when your whole motivation is dollars. You know, that that's the answer. And so I assure you that he's thinking about the royalties from the book he can write over why he uh, how he brought the president down which is his dream that'll give the democrats enough for them to run with unfortunately for those of you who still think that's going to happen it's not you know there's just no there there he, there's no collusion he knows nothing about collusion there never was collusion and they've wasted millions of dollars and tons of time on this so now all they can do is just muddy up um the president which listen you know any other president would buckle under this donald trump he almost seems to thrive on it he's tweeting a 12-hour time difference and he's tweeting about michael cohen he's tweeting about everything that's going on it's like he's nonplussed by the whole thing which is i guess still one of the things that uh keeps me hopeful that i'm gonna get a wall the other thing that he's got to push back on is the uh, this new push for gun control, and they're just getting started. Don't kid yourself, because all this stuff that they're uh, voting on and all of these um, promises that they made to the uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas kids, uh, guess what? They're just getting started on their gun control wish list. They started yesterday. They, um, they put forward a... a significant gun control measure the first one in decades um it'll hit a roadblock when it gets to the republican-led senate but they are just you know they're doing it for the for the politics for the for the uh photo op 
We've got a ton of things identified, said Representative Mike Thompson, Democrat from California, who heads a House task force on gun violence that was established by Democrats. The panel is examining concealed carry reciprocity laws, red flag laws targeting gun owners who are deemed a safety risk, and laws to protect children from accessing guns. Background checks are just one way to deter the expansive culture that we are living in, said uh, the new uh, representative here from Florida, Debbie Murkersell Powell, who uh, unfortunately won that uh, Miami election, a member of the Gun Violence Task Force. And so the House votes on this measure, and they try to convince the American people who they know are not for gun control that it's just about expanding background checks, and there's no problem with that. And why would anybody object to that? Good people can disagree about many things, but you can't disagree about, you know, background checks. Well, I can. I can actually disagree about background checks because I know that it's not about background checks. It's never been about background checks okay it's about taking your guns away and let me uh, point out what's happening in venezuela right now because in venezuela they took their guns away and now the people are literally um, subjected to the cruelty of a dictator and if you don't believe, if you think that we live in such a, um, you know, safe part of the world, uh, you haven't heard me lately talking about Hezbollah on our southern border, okay? The Venezuelans regret gun bans. It was a an opportunity for the government to wage war against its people. Here they are crumbling under this dictatorship of Maduro, following the dictatorship of Chavez. And a lot of the people are expressing a lot of wordings, uh, words of warning to the rest of us against a six-year-old gun control bill that stripped them all of their weapons. Guns would have served as a vital pillar to remaining a free people, or at least able to put up a fight. Javier Venagas, a Venezuelan teacher of English, now exiled in Ecuador, told the news the government security forces at the beginning of this debacle knew they had no real opposition to their force one things once things were this bad it was a clear declaration of war against an unarmed population under the direction of hugo chavez who the venezuelan national assembly back in 2012 enacted the control of arms munitions and disarmament law with the explicit aim to disarm all citizens. And the law took effect in 2013 with only a little bit of pushback from a couple of pro-democracy opposition figures. And it banned the legal commercial sale of guns and munitions to anyone except the government. Chavez uh, initially ran a months-long amnesty uh, program encouraging them. Uh, where have we heard this before? To just trade in their guns. Just, just bring them to us. Uh, you know, at that year there were only 37 recorded voluntary gun surrenders, while the majority of seizures, meaning the guns they took away from people, guess what? More than 12,500 were by force. 
in 2014 with Maduro at the helm following Chavez's death. But carrying through on Chavista policies, the government invested more than $47 million enforcing the gun ban, which has since, including all these grandiose displays of public weapons demolitions in the town square. They just blow up everybody's weapons. A former gun store owner inside of Venezuela has now been relegated to selling fishing supplies since the ban. He can't sell any type of weaponry, not even a slingshot. And underscored that even BB ammunition and airsoft guns are only issued to police and the military. The punishment, by the way, for carrying or selling a weapon is 20 years behind bars. There were only around eight gun stores in the entire country before 2012 when they did this this uh, legislation. And the process was hard to get a, a legal permit. To own or carry a gun, you had to wait in lines, you had to bribe you know, the officials just to make the uh, process work at all. And, and, and the department actually was operating under the umbrella of the Ministry of Defense. Think about that for a second. Venezuelans just didn't care enough about it. The idea of having the means to protect your home was seen as only needed out in the fields, right? People never would have believed that they would need to defend themselves against the government. Venezuelans evolved uh, to always hoping that the government would be non-tyrannical, non-violator of human rights, and would always have a good enough control of criminality. Oh, well. He said it didn't take long for such a, you know, that perception to go the fall apart. If guns had been a stronger part of our culture, if there had been a sense of duty for one to protect their individual rights and as a show of force against the government power and had legal carry been a common thing, would have made a huge difference. Let me tell you what the huge difference he's talking about is. They would not be in the position they're in today. When citizens are deprived of the only means of resisting the depredations of a criminal government, this is what happens. Just like in Cuba, just like in Venezuela, they when you give up your Second Amendment rights in this country, let me just tell you, you will go from being a citizen to being a subject. And that's what's beginning right now in Washington. These gun control uh, bills that are being proffered and passed are the beginning of a dramatic confiscation plan. That's what they that's what they want. Expanding background checks and red flags and all that sounds nice. But really what what the Democrats want is to take your guns away from you. I'm not being uh, overly dramatic. That's what they want. And they won't stop. They really won't, which is why it's it's scary that we have the house back in their hands and who knows what's coming down the pike. Although I don't think they I, I, as much as I am certainly concerned about the uh, the presidential election that's coming up, it's not because I've seen a candidate emerge from the uh, Democrats that has any possibility of winning against Donald Trump because I haven't yet. But there's always that little little thing in the back of my mind that you know Michelle, Oprah. I mean, there's there's uh, some personalities that could maybe stand up to a a Trump, but. Uh, Certainly not Kamala, Kamala, whatever she calls herself now, Harris, Corey, Spartacus Booker, 
and Bernie Sanders. Well, you can see the um, machinations on both sides uh, in this hearing. It's really, I'm not, I'm really just sparing you some terminal um, hearing stuff. But uh, it's interesting, sitting alongside, well, actually just behind um, Congressman Mark Meadows is a longtime Trump aide, Lynn Patton. She now is actually serving as a, an official over at uh, Housing and Urban Development with uh, Dr. Ben Carson. And I think that she's probably going to be doing a lot of press this afternoon to push back against this testimony that uh, Donald Trump is a racist or a misogynist since she is. Uh, they've ne- you know, I've never seen an administration official sit behind a member of Congress during a hearing before. She had to be, um, she actually was brought into Trump world by Michael Cohen. And I guess this is clearly intended as a reminder for Mr. Cohen. And by the way, Mark Meadows, of course, is one of President Trump's top allies. And, and Ms. Patton is sitting behind Mark Meadows. She tweeted this morning that she's there in support of POTUS and in support of the truth, as Michael Cohen knows that I know it to be. And the truth is that it doesn't take you 15 years to call someone a racist unless they're not one. Woo! I am honored to be the special guest of Representative Mark Meadows today. I'm here in support of POTUS and in support of the truth. And how does she know that she knows that she knows? She used to consider Michael Cohen one of her very best friends. And she credits him with introducing her to Donald Trump and changing her entire life. Whoa. You see, that's why I say, you know, I have, I'm getting hysterical tweets from friends. Is this, is this bad? You know, they're hearing a little bit of this testimony and they're getting all nervous. Kind of like in the old days when Karen used to watch, uh, what's his name, John Roberts in front of that map with the red and she'd go berserk. I'm getting those kind of tweets from friends about this Cohen testimony. And uh, I am, let me tell you something. This is going to be maybe a 72-hour news cycle. It'll be longer than 48. It'll be 72. And, uh, and it's really, in the final analysis, even the haters are going to say, but there's nothing, we're not even allowed to ask questions. They weren't even allowed to ask questions about Russia. <laughs> they weren't. No, they said the Republicans are doing it in violation of what Elijah Cummings said. Oh, he waived it? Oh, I missed that. Yeah, well, it would have been ridiculous. Why would he eliminate questions on the only subject that this was ever supposed to be about in the first place was was there collusion with Russia? And, uh, And did he just perjure himself again? Accuse, you know... Let's see, uh, you know, he, he claims he didn't want a White House job, and they've got proof that he did. He asked for it in writing. So can he get charged for that again? Yeah, but what are they wow. going to do? Well, you know, All back. it does is diminish his, his testimony today. But there, there is a, there's a whole team of lawyers sitting here right now, sitting in the White House right now, watching this, and check, check things that they can prove were lies. 
You know, as Hobo pointed out, the funniest one was that Don Jr. went behind the desk. Nobody walks behind the desk. And he whispered into the president's ear something about a meeting. I mean, really. He concluded all this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, And from there, we now uh, have to assume that uh, uh, Julian Assange uh, set up the meeting. I don't know. It's just so stop worrying. Okay. The only. The only, uh, I don't even want to say it because it's horrifying, but there's only one way they can stop President Trump and they're not going to do that.